Hey everybody, this is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. A long time ago, in a far-off corner of a major city, was a small American town called East Harlem. There were many faces, but no Facebook. A few twits, but no Twitter. And we didn't use a device when we wanted to socialize. We just opened the door and walked out to our stoop. It seems like such a long time ago, like an ancient city, a myth. As if I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. The 70s was to toys what the 8th century BC was to human thought. It was a golden age without the hemlock and tunics. These were the toys we received as birthday and Christmas presents, and they entertained us on rainy days. There were no computer chips or game cartridges. Not yet. These were the days before Pong lit our imaginations up with its simple pixel ping-pong magic. There were a bunch of categories that toys fell into, and between me and my four sisters, well, our house was a home to every kind. There were board games, racing sets, dolls, stoves, guns, soldiers, and the first virtual reality toys. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit. This is a creature from the lost world, a creature created by you. With Mattel's strange change machine, you turn time capsules into weird creatures. You control the compression chamber, which turns these creatures back into capsule. Be the creator of a lost world with Mattel's strange change machine. My earliest memory of a favorite toy was a cool and somewhat dangerous device called Strange Change. It fell under the stove category because it contained a compartment that would heat up to plastic melting temps, plastic dinosaurs. I was a typical kid. I fell in love with dinosaurs. It's so obvious why kids do. I mean, these were real monsters that actually thundered across the land, not just some Toho Studios invention. When I learned to read, I began to devour books on dinosaurs. And before you could say Mycopacacephalosaurus, I was spitting out complex dino names like sunflower seeds in a major league dugout and wowing the adults. Strange Change was the first toy I obsessed over. From its first commercial I witnessed on TV and to the moment I opened it on Christmas morning, I was fascinated by taking the little plastic squares stamped with that Mattel logo, placing them in the crystal clear domed heating chamber and watching it transform, unfold in the waves of thermal energy into a dinosaur. The entire thing looked like it came out of some mad scientist lab and that made it even that much cooler. There was one cube though that changed strange to my geek brain, into something that looked more like a sweet stack than a dino. And I cried foul with the same five-year-old arrogance that I berated the Flintstones with for mixing humans and brontos. I guess I really was a materialistic literalist little SOB in those days. I'm glad I grew out of that. Now my Aunt Anne, who I called Oyo, was a very funny lady, and she loved chocolate. And while I saw reptilian evolution at high speeds in my strange change device, she saw the glimmer of genius for the Hershey Corporation's new product division. One night, she looked at one of the little colorful plastic cubes with its stamped Mattel logo and had a flash of genius. Michael O'Neill, she began, 
Yeah, that was her nickname for me, Michael O'Neill for Bologna. Well, that's where OEO actually came from, but I digress. Let me use your toy. I have a great idea. And she proceeded to place an unwrapped chocolate kiss under the plastic dome of my highly scientific machine and waited, history will prove, too long. She then laid the heated confection into the compression chamber, cranked the control mechanism, dreaming of perfection, a cube of chocolate stamped with that cool logo of the Mattel Corporation. And she cranked and cranked and cranked and then... It crushed the mushy blob of chocolate into a melted mess all over the works of my device. I was appalled. My high-tech archaeotemporal cloning device was ruined. Well, not really. My Aunt Oreo and my sisters were laughing hysterically. And we all cleaned the goo off the device. And it would crank out dinos on another day. In fact, many other days. Then I recall one night, must have been years later, when that special toy had died and was tossed in the trash. I was watching from my window with my mom as some of the older boys on the block discovered the discarded, strange, changed treasure in the trash and began dragging it by its cord and smashing it around the sidewalks. I was pissed. I, th- I think I shouted threats of revenge. I, that was my toy they were messing with. My mom told me it was okay. And I guess it was. I have four sisters. As a kid, you can never really be lonely because there's always someone to play with. We had our favorite board games. The same ones you all played, Clue, Monopoly. They were classics that passed times with great real estate deals and arguing over rent on rainy days. But two games stand out because they required building the game up into three dimensions. And that made it much cooler. The wildest, funniest game you've ever seen. Catch the mouse, that's half the fun. But there's even more to playing mousetrap game. Here's where the fun begins. Move two spaces. One, two. Start building the mousetrap. Race your mouse around the board, building a mousetrap as you go. Now, Milton Bradley has cooked up a ghostly game. Which, which? You try to move through the spooky house that's full of surprises, but Wanda the Wicked may turn you into a mouse. <laughs> or the whammy ball may drop and the witch's broom sends you back. If you're careful and reach the charmed circle, you win. Which, which? A Milton Bradley game. Yeah, I bet you recall those commercials fondly. Somebody once said, if you build a better mousetrap, they will come. I'm not sure who they are, but we definitely came. Mousetrap was the ultimate Rube Goldbergian build-it-yourself contraption fun fest. I mean, who doesn't love a good contraption? Half the time, we would just set up the trap to watch it work and didn't even bother with a playthrough. Yeah, I bet some of you did that too. Witch Witch was a lot of fun. It was a creepy game where you maneuvered your little plastic person through the rooms of a haunted house without getting whacked by brooms or sections of wall or maybe even turned into a rat or knocked down a staircase by a steel marble. It was an early version of virtual reality in a way. No staring down on a 2D board. Your avatar was thrown into the real three-dimensional space. Night Rescue shoots away as a test of skill. You look through the viewfinder, maneuver the plane over the target, Bet you and drop your air rescue chutes. Night Rescue shoots away. You can play in the dark, too. Batteries not included. When you're hot, you're hot. Night Rescue.
Night Rescue Shoots Away comes with 10 air rescue shoots, night floodlight, and everything you see here by Gabriel. This was another of my favorite 3D and proto VR games I spent a lot of time playing. You peered through the scope and dropped the paratroopers into the target trenches. It made you feel like you were really inside the plane. It was really a cool game. And sometimes you can reimagine games for other entertainment possibilities. Remember this one? When you're into perfection, keep on your toes. You have to be quick, cause here's how it goes. Push the plunger down, set the timer. Get the pieces in place. Don't be solving perfection. You've got to move on fast. Or the pieces pop up before you put in the last. Yeah, that was one of the old-time classic jingles. I bet you're all humming it now and you're going to be doing it for a week. Sure, the game was fun if played as directed, but it also made a really fun solo game. I was a special operations bomb diffuser, and as the clock ticked and danger loomed, my brow sweating with excitement as I rushed, my heart pacing, to place all the pieces in the slots before the huge explosion destroyed my house. And other times, you wanted to face off with others, and there was no better game to make enemies of good friends than... Risk. Risk. Win the game, and you win the world. Parker Brothers kind of fun. Yeah, Risk. It was all about world domination, and man, blood would boil when some foreign army decimated your troops at the border and took over half of Europe. You would feel utter hate and disdain for dear friends. Joe was especially bloodthirsty in this game, and he took joy in marching his conquering hordes of plastic over cardboard maps, leaving entire cities pillaged and burned. Luckily, we played sans sharp objects. There were some great choices for the more artistic of temperaments. Colorforms was a simple but pleasurable sticker game, where you would paste, peel, and repaste the colorful clothing or accessories onto scenes of your favorite TV, cartoon, or comic book favorites. I have to say, for me, they had a little replay value, and it didn't take long for the layer of hand dirt and grease as well as lint to make these little forms useless. Amazing. These are just a few of the designs that can be made with Spirograph by Kenner. Change wheels, change colors. Make a million multicolored designs, each so beautiful your eyes won't believe what your hands have done. Spirograph by Kenner. So much fun you'll never want to stop. Spirograph, the world's most fascinating new toy. Anyone remember Spirograph? It was a thinking kid's toy that required patience and a steady hand, perhaps some mind-altering substances. Gears within wheels, teeth floating around the perimeter of toothy circles, all pinned down to paper on thick cardboard. Colorful pens pushing, often with some frustrating struggle. Gears smoothly creating undulating, trippy, and fascinating patterns of lines upon lines, forming flowery stars, jaw-dropping fractals, and mind-warping mandalas to make the squarest nerd find his inner hippie. Real far out, man. Very cool toy. Yet not all the artsy toys inspired a zen, blissful mindset. Remember this one? Magically, taking a bat down in no use. 
I don't know about you, but I found the Etch-A-Sketch to be a frustration machine. Turn those dials and create the Mona Lisa? Yeah, right. One of the commercials shows some kid sitting on the floor of one of these insane devices, and he ends up with a clip that looks like a Picasso drawing. Yeah, really, little psycho. I mean, seriously, did anyone ever make anything other than a crooked escalator on one of these flat projectiles? The only thing it had going for it was you could shake away the horrible attempts at anything that looked like anything on this early primeval iPad. And the best way to get out your frustration? He's a demolition demon in a beat-up Chevrolet. It ain't worth a dollar, so he wrecks it every day. Now here is Kenner's SSP smash-up derby set. And you can hoot and holler, cause you ain't seen nothing yet. Crash, bang, crack em up, put em back again. Crash, bang, smash em up, it's smash-up time, my friend. Kids like breaking things, so what is better than a toy you're supposed to break? Then put back together and break again. And what was better than cars designed to be crashed? I only wish I had my movie camera when I was 9 years old to film doors flying, wheels spinning and exhaust pipes sliding across linoleum roads in glorious slow motion. There were all sorts of racetrack toys in the 70s. Slot cars, slotless racers, futuristic cars that rode upside down, police chase sets. Matchbox announced the nearest thing yet to the thrills of a real-life car chase. Matchbox Racing Chase. It's the only slot car set that lets you U-turn like real cars. You can jump. You can race. And you can actually control those U-turns. I'll never forget one Christmas, I got the Matchbox Racing Chase set. Twice. Yeah, it was great. I remember that after Christmas that night, my Uncle Joe came by with gifts. Even at that young age, I could see a strange expression on his face when he saw me playing with the Racing Chase set. He handed me a large and kind of familiar looking package and said, I hope open it later, Mike. And when I did, well, it was another Racing Chase set. I'm not sure why he was concerned that giving a duplicate gift, I was psyched to have double the tracks and extra cars to crash and smash. And when violent car chases ending in horrible wrecks wasn't enough to fill that young burgeoning ball of walking testosterone joy, you could always fall back on those toys of war. Pretend there's trouble for Giacho. You gotta get out, you Giacho. Copters waiting, time to go. Gotta rescue Giacho. Better move out, you Giacho. Mission accomplished. G.I. Joe and G.I. Joe Adventure Team Helicopter, each sold separately. G.I. Joe's plastic soldiers and guns. Lots of guns. My yard, that rear plot of soil that would barely grow a weed, was the perfect zone to dig trenches, set up battlefields, and as I've told you in various episodes, lots of firefights, explosions, and muddy mayhem. It was the best place to put those easily acquired fireworks to perfect use. But when you wanted to get in the mix, become part of the action, and not just an overseer, well, that's when you took out the plastic artillery. There, buddy, it's all yours. Wow, look at that. Hey, what about me? Try this one, partner. Looks like real. Sounds like real. 
They sure do. The sound of power military rifle and western rifle by Marks. See, we saw all this as play. It was exciting to pretend to be a cop or a soldier or a secret service agent. It was great sneaking through the darkened trees of a backyard, hunting each other down with bam, bam, ammo over our mouths, and falling dead in an honor system that made it clear if you could see your shooter, then you were shot. It's amazing how many arguments erupted, deep disagreements on the accuracy of being bang, bang, finger gunned to death. And you have to remember, this was, you know, all before the school shootings became a daily event. There really was a real innocence when we played with our toy guns. None of us, well, most of us, had no desire to use real guns and real kids. But we also didn't want none of those bright orange guns with cherry red stoppers in the barrel. The more realism, the better in my eyes. See, we're engaging in fantasy, using our imaginations, and very importantly, getting cardio exercise in the process. When those first video games appeared in Rex's ice store or the candy stores around the area, things would change. And we loved those video games. But the real games and toys, the analog play things, hold joyful memories. I hope kids today are also playing some non-electronic games and toys. I'm sure they are. And I'm sure I missed a ton of toys that you and I played with, like, I don't know, like Operation Game or Viewmasters, Hoppity Hops, Tops, Yo-Yos, Pogo Sticks, Sorry, Life, Shoots and Ladders, etc, etc. Put some of your favorites on the Stoops Facebook page. And while you're here listening, please rate the podcast. Five stars is nice. So yeah, we lived in a golden age of toys, when real dice, real player pieces made of colorful plastic and fake guns warded off boredom around my stoops of Atlantis. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future tales and bizarreness from that ancient land called East Harlem. Check me out on Facebook.